Keon Sports is your top source for Cleveland Browns coverage and also high school football coverage. KeonSports.com has every game every week in the Northeast Ohio region. We are the premier source for high school football. If you own a small business and you want to run some 30-second commercials during all of our high school football broadcasts, let me know. Email me, Vince McKee, at CoachVin14 at Yahoo.com. We want to go ahead and promote your small business during every week of football. Up next on the Player Spotlight Series, Cleveland Brown, Brian Kinchin. Welcome into the Keon Sports Podcast. It is the Player Spotlight Series. Tonight, we speak with former tight end Brian Kinchin about his career with the Dolphins, the Browns, the Ravens, the Panthers, and then returning to play in Super Bowl 38 with the New England Patriots. Sit tight, put your feet up, and grab something cold to drink. Up next, Brian Kinchin. Welcome into the Player Spotlight Series here with Keon Sports. Today's guest, very special. I uh, had talked with him a few years back about my book, Bernie, Bill, and the Browns. He is tight end Brian Kinchin. Very excited to have him on the show today. Um, you know, one of the better tight ends to come through Cleveland uh, before they moved to Baltimore. He has several interesting stories to tell. This is an LSU alum, a lot of Tiger pride in that family, and we'll get to all that in a bit. Very, very excited to talk with Brian today on the show. So let's, you know, without any further ado, let's get him to the phone. All right, up next on the show today, Brian Kinchin. Uh, we were talking offline just now, a player that I watched growing up. Um, kind of crazy to me right now as a 38-year-old to be on the phone with him. And in in his lap is one of his granddaughters. So just, uh, just wild that we all have to grow up. But Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Oh, absolutely. You know, so growing up in Baton Rouge, having a father who played at LSU, you know, I have to believe, was it pretty much your main vision to play at LSU one day, go there for college, play there, or did you consider any other schools, you know, coming out of high school, or was it, you know, Tiger or nothing? Yeah, I, I was pretty set on it. I remember very young age wanting to to be an LSU Tiger like my dad. My, my uncle played there as well, and and that's all we did on Saturdays. It was it all revolved around LSU football in the fall. And so my whole, my only goal was to was to be like my dad. I I did have aspirations to be able to play in the NFL. I remember watching the Miami Dolphins, who happened to be my favorite team. You know when they went they went uh, what was it seventeen and zero. Back in 72, I think I was only seven years old, but I can remember because, you know, we only had three channels back then. And when the Dolphins were on, I was watching. And so my world revolved around football and, and certainly LSU football was the main focus. And so when 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 I became a senior in high school, I had plenty of plenty of letters from all over the country and never really considered anything. All I ever wanted to do was be a Tiger. And, and I was fortunate to get that that offer from then coach Jerry Stowall and be able to fulfill that dream. 
your entire family is LSU Tigers. It's in, it's incredible to me. Um, you know, your children, and I believe, you know, and, and sometimes when I do my research, I, I see things that I'm not 100% sure of, but I, I want to say even your wife was went to LSU, correct? Well, yeah, there's a real long history. My mom was an LSU cheerleader, and she was darling of LSU. And my dad played on the, their first national championship team. Again, my uncle played there. And then my my wife was the was a cheerleader at LSU, and she won the only national championship that LSU's cheerleading team had ever won in 1989. And my two older sons both went to LSU as well and played. And they both married LSU cheerleaders as well. And my fourth son is currently dating an LSU cheerleader right now, and he plays football at Northwestern State, which is in the central part of Louisiana. So, yeah, we we have a deep history at LSU, both on the field and on the boundary as well, in the cheerleading form. So, I you know I, I can't even imagine what would have happened one day if. Uh... You know, one of your kids started dating somebody wearing Crimson Tide. I just can't even <laughs> fathom. But, you know, what's kind of cool, and, and a lot of our listeners may, maybe not realize this, but, you know, not too long ago, at least in my heart of hearts, the, the NFL draft was not seven rounds. It was way more than seven rounds. And, and when you look at it, you were drafted in the 12th round, I believe. And, you know, ironically enough, you just got done saying it, by your favorite team. You got drafted by the Miami Dolphins, spent three years uh, with Coach Don Shula and Dan Marino. Now, yes. while you didn't, get, yes. you didn't get to play as much, I understand that you weren't a, a key factor in the team's offensive attack. I get all that. But still, you know, how much did being around Don Shula and Dan Marino help your overall love of, of the game and help you adjust to the professional level? I mean, you were two of the greats. Yes, it's really kind of funny because I often do the analogy with people that if you take your favorite candy bar and you eat it every day, you kind of eventually get tired of it. And so it's funny because when I, I remember when I was drafted, I, I it was a very hard couple of days for me because I was called in the ninth round by the Cleveland Browns and they said to sit tight, you might get a call. And I never did. And so I really got frustrated because everybody thinks they should be drafted higher than they, than they end up going. And for me, I was thinking fifth round or so, and I, and I ended up going in the 12th. And so I was playing golf when my brother came running out on the golf course and told me I got drafted in the 12th round. And the only consolation was it was with the, the Miami Dolphins, which obviously my, my childhood team. But, you know, once you get there, I mean, it's like the minute you step foot on the, the campus, kind of like at LSU, you know, you, you're kind of pampered a little bit and people hold your hand and they tell you where to go and they everybody's really nice to you. In the NFL, they just drop you off and say, you know, through the door. And, <laughs> and so you're, you're hit with this harsh reality of this isn't this isn't playtime anymore and it's a job. And so being with Coach Shula, you know, in hindsight is, was great. But the reality was, I mean, I was just trying to make a football team and trying to be able to win his favor. And, you know, Dan Marino was just a guy that, that lined up behind center. And just I was hoping that he would be my teammate when I showed up. And so it's kind of it's a different mentality from the outside looking in as opposed to when you're there and you're going through the process because football is just hard. It's just, it's a tough and NFL is just so filled with pressure and, and, and anxiety for most of the players. Very few 
But your guys that you know of, the names you know, probably have a little bit more of an easier time because they're expected to be there. They're making all the money, but but most of the guys like myself, you know, you're just trying to find, you're just trying to get a job, and you're just hoping to be able to, to make it. And so it's a different mentality. It's a different, you know, it's not, you know, Sundays, Sundays, you know, everybody loves to watch and they can't wait to see it. You know, for us, it's just, it's anxiety. It's, I mean, you have to go out and be your best for three hours. And, and so it's, it's, it's tough because it's not, you know, I don't, I don't like exploiting the reality of the NFL, but, but at the same time, you know, people have to understand it's it's not what you see on on the movie screen, whether it's North Dallas Forty or whatever. You know, it's just it's just not like that. It's it's just a very it's a very tough job. It's a lot of there's a lot of pressure because it's not only that you can be replaced next year or next week. I mean, they can bring somebody in that day and take your job because even though we sign contracts. Those contracts are only those, those contracts only keep us in a contract. It doesn't keep the owners in the contract, so they can they can break that contract at any point in time. So even though I look back on my time in Miami, and obviously with my wife and kids, and remember all the great moments we had, but it's it's just a it was it was a tough time for me. It was it was just back in the old days with with Shula, where we're two a days every day for for about six, seven weeks and just a long, hard camp that you're just hoping in the end that you get to make another paycheck the following week, which is week one of the NFL season. And I was very fortunate to make it as a 12th rounder. And not many of them get to do that, especially get to play as long as I did. But, yeah, it was uh, was a different experience when you're watching them on TV as opposed to when you're lining up, strapping on the gear. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and only people who have played in the league would know that. You know, clearly fans, and we don't get that perception. So that's a great answer there. You know, so ironically enough, though, it's crazy. So you play for Belich, or not Belich, you play for Don Shula for three years, and then you end up in Cleveland with who shows up at the same time you do but Bill Belichick. So you go from, you know, really, in my humble opinion, two of the greatest coaches of all time. You you could throw others in there and, and, you know, Lombardi and and, uh, Paul Brown, obviously, but... When you really stop and look at it, those are pretty much the two top coaches of all time, in my humble opinion. So, what you know, two part question here for you: What was your first impression of the Cleveland fan base, and what was your first impression of Coach Belichick? <laughs> well, uh, for me, I didn't really get to experience the fans much early on because I was kind of just surviving. I come, I come on, come into Cleveland in week three. In 1992, I think it was. No, 91, I'm sorry. It was Belichick's first year, yeah. And and I had just been released at the end of camp in Green Bay. It's the first first time I'd have been released in my career. And so I was was just hoping to get a job again. And and they called and sent sent me up there, and I did a tryout. And their new facility they had just built, it was one of the state-of-the-art facilities, the only really one in the NFL. And uh, we went inside, with, and the sand was, there was sand on this indoor field, and it was wet because they had just put the roof on the top of the stadium, or this indoor facility. And so, you know, I, I, I don't even know, I don't even remember Belichick being at the tryout. I don't even know if he was. I, I think there was a camera and a, 
and our special teams coach Scott Scott O'Brien was there, but um, you know I, I I didn't know Bill Belichick from a hole in the wall, and I didn't I didn't really care who the head coach was. I just wanted a job, and so I I, I remember sitting in the training room in a room by myself. And I don't know how I got there. I didn't know if I knew or not that I had made it or not. And then Belichick walks in, and he doesn't say anything. He doesn't introduce himself, doesn't anything. <laughs> he just says to me, he says, he says, we need to work on your short snaps. Because <laughs> I was trying out as a, as a long snapper mm-hmm. because they had, they had lost a guy in week one and they cut a guy in week two. And this was week three, and so he doesn't say anything other than that. And I'm like, I'm like, I hadn't short snapped because when I got to the NFL, I, I hadn't long snapped at, at, at all ever in my life. <laughs> and then I'd never short snapped. I, sh- I, snor- I short snapped in three games in Miami, filling in for the starting center because Shula always wanted a big guy in the middle snapping, but he got hurt. So I had to do three games at short snaps and I had never done them before. And so he kind of, you need to work on your shorts. And I'm sitting there thinking, I need to work on all of my snapping. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, I, I'd only been in for three years doing this stuff, but that was it. I mean, he never, he never said anything other than that and never introduced himself. And, and even my years there, I, I, I survived for a couple of years. And, they, and again, just like Shula, he wouldn't let me play tight end. And I, I mean, that's the only reason I really cared to be in the NFL. I, I mean, long snapping was great, but it was just a, a way to keep me there. And and I remember the day that I finally I finally won the job. My, it was my sixth year in the NFL. And they cut every tight end on the roster in the final cut. I was the only one left. And Belichick walks out and we were stretching for the first practice of the, of the reg, you know, first week of the regular season. And he walks out on the field and he's like, well, you finally got what you wanted. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm like, yeah, Bill, thanks. I said, and I told him, I said, I said, you think I could have somebody else with me at practice? I don't have to take every rep. Because like I was the only tight end on the field for that day, yeah. And they brought so they brought a kid in who had gotten released to come in and help me out and give me some some rest during practice. But yeah, he was just he was just he's an atypical, old school, no nonsense, just wear you out, foot on your throat, coach. That again, you just don't see and understand if you're not one of, if you're not a guy who's playing under him and. and there's just not a whole lot of a lot, whole lot of of affirmation in, in that job, no matter what it is. But but I often tell people, you know, Bill Bill's a normal guy though. If you see him off the field, or you know, my wife used to be up in the office with him. She was the president of a wives club, and she would come home and tell me about these conversations she had with Bill. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Conversations with Bill? She's like, oh yeah, he's a super nice guy. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I was like, this guy's no more nicer than a hole in the wall. But yeah, I've had moments, and I had those moments where he's just, you know, he's a normal guy, just like me and you, and you'd sit in a room with him and be able to have a nice, normal conversation. But you know, people only see the 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 ten, fifteen second clip of him in front of the press doing something he doesn't want to do and answering questions to people he doesn't want to answer questions from. So, yeah, he's a normal guy, but I experienced him mostly as a coach. And uh, he was he's a guy that I give, I give a lot of credit to, even though I don't have a lot of great 
fondness for him because it's just the way it works. I mean, a coach is supposed to get the best out of you, and and that's what he did. He 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 constantly grinded grinded me down to where. You know, the kind of like the schmelting process, you know, like the, the, only the good stuff's left. And so, you know, because of him, I got a chance to be able to fulfill a dream, being a, a starter in the NFL for five or six years or so. And 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 he uh, he was the catalyst. He's the guy that made me better and pushed me to be my best. And, and even though, like I said, it's hard to look back with fondness on it, it's just that's the reality. I mean... You know, when you have good parents who teach you the right stuff, that you know they're not—they're not your best friends. They're the ones who, who give you discipline and consequences for things you do, and and uh, so it's 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 kind of a it's a tough process to go through. But I'm glad that that I was able to experience it because otherwise I'd have been sitting at home like everybody else watching on TV. Yeah, and and you know the crazy thing too—it was such a transition. In the first two years you were with Cleveland, a lot of veterans were leaving. You know, he was bringing young talent in. It was a, it would seem like a revolving door of getting the old out and the new in. And then speaking of 1993, so 1993 is when you became a key member of the offensive game plan. You were the starting tight end. I want to say they brought in Scott Galbraith as well um, as the year went on. So you got a little bit of help there, but you were kind of the key cog in that. But you know, maybe it's bad luck, maybe it's, who knows what it is sometimes, you know, you work your ass off, you finally get a chance to start and play, and then what happens with a, that same season, but a quarterback controversy, I mean, how, how, how lucky are you, <laughs> you know, your first year as a starter, that's got to go down, you know, so in, in 1993, did you feel any tension between Kozar and Vinny Testaverde and Kozar and Bill Belichick, like, can you feel that being in the meeting rooms and going over the game plans, or were you just completely blown away you know, later in the season when they made that switch to Testaverde and, and eventually cut, you know, Kozar. Were you shocked by all that, or did you see it coming? Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you see it you see it everywhere. I mean, even in Miami with Shula and Marino, it was just, you know, Dan, Danny wanted to do what he wanted, and, and he felt he should have more impact on the offense. And, and Shula said, this, you know, this is my show, and so it was a constant – you could constantly just see the the banter between them that just was just it wasn't hostile but it just wasn't pleasant and so with with you know with Belichick and the way he dealt with players you know it didn't really matter who you were and and he made that very clear with Kosar that um, that he was in charge and and that Bernie really didn't matter to him and and you know being with Bernie and hanging out with him all the time and seeing him and running around the locker room and words coming out of his mouth. I mean, it's kind of easy to know what's going on. I mean, anybody in that position would feel the same way that you're the guy for, for so long. And this guy comes in and all of a sudden things are getting changed up. And, and, you know, so it's, it's, it's obvious. I think it, it showed by the fact that we just were very unsuccessful and, and, and didn't have a whole lot of cohesiveness in those teams when we were in Cleveland at all. I mean, we had one year where we made it to the playoffs, and, but it just seemed more like a fluke than it did like what, what should happen. But it was a shock to us as players. I mean, I can remember waking up whatever morning it was and hearing that Bernie got released, and I was like, I was like, what? I was like, this just can't be a reality. And then again, it's just because it's Belichick, you're thinking, well, you know, it's, it's just, it just doesn't surprise me. It's a typical move um, for a guy like that who just wants to be 
wants to be in charge and he's going to show that he is in charge. And, you know, the shocking part, I guess, and, the, and, but it's just, you know, the power, you don't know the power struggles that go on in the NFL between the owners and the personnel guy and the head coach, but really just thinking about how does Modell let that happen? You know, it just, it just didn't seem like that could work because he's the one in charge really ultimately, but yet Belichick wants him gone and he's gone. And, so it, it, it was a real reality check, I think, for everyone. Not that anybody needed to know how fragile your job is in the NFL, that everybody's expendable. But obviously, that sent a huge message. I'm sure not just to our team, but everywhere in the league, that no matter who you are, you can get sent down the road. And and it was it was a tough time. I mean, obviously, I say it's tough, but it doesn't compare to anything compared to what happened later down the road when and we decided to depart the city altogether. Yeah, and we'll get to that in a bit. But I don't. I, I definitely want to talk about something positive here. And you were kind of humble about it. But you know what? That nineteen ninety four season to me, I, I loved it as a kid. That was, uh, you know, I grew up in the eighties when the Browns were making the AFC Championship game almost every single year. They made it three out of four years. Uh, I grew up with winning, you know, and then so so the transition to the nineties was a bit off, you know, and we didn't know Belichick was going to be a legend at the time. We had no idea. So just just the whole transition for us was a little rough as kids growing up watching this. But I'll say this. You know, I was in seventh grade. In 1994, that season was unbelievably enjoyable. You guys, first of all, you went, um, I had the record here a second ago, 11-5, and five, I want to say it was. But, yeah, 11-5 and five in, in, uh, in 94. You made the playoffs. During the regular season, you guys went to Dallas, the defending Super Bowl champions, and beat them. How you know why were you able to beat Dallas on the road? How much confidence did that give you in Testaverde and Belichick in the system in general? And then on top of that, you guys were successful in the playoffs. Why, you know that, that when you beat the Patriots in the playoffs, that's the last time the Cleveland Browns franchise has won a playoff game. Why did everything click so well in '94, from the win in Dallas to the to the playoff win and just everything in general? Why was it so good in '94? Well, I just think that having a guy like Vinny in that in that leadership position, that quarterback position, I mean, people people don't understand that, that in the NFL, there's not it's not it's not a college environment. It's not it's just a total different landscape because everyone there is an independent contractor, and we're trying to just we're trying to figure out things on our own and how we can keep our job and cohesiveness and, and, and team and unity and all that stuff. It's so vital to success at every level, especially football more than any other sport. It, uh, you know, it's just, it's just very rare that you, that you get, you get that. And, um, you know, with Vinny stepping into the role, I think he, he was just a very, very humble guy. He was one. He was one of the one of us, and he worked hard. He showed up every day, and I think that that kind of gave us this cohesiveness and this this unity, this sense of team that you have to have in the NFL even to be successful. And I felt like it all came together really well, and we were all kind of. Uh, in sync as a team and we were able to 
to ride that out pretty well. Obviously, it ended it ended pretty poorly in Pittsburgh uh, when we when we had to go there. And going to Pittsburgh is never fun, but but it was a great run. I mean, it really was. It was a it was a yeah. You know, when I was in the NFL, I, I I saw the playoffs twice. Once I was on IR, so that was really my only experience in, in the NFL being a part of the playoffs and. And even in college, you don't have playoffs. You know, high school, you're lucky to get to the playoffs. So that's like a huge thing. And so it's been a long time since me and a lot of guys have been able to experience something like that and have success like that. Because, it's, like I said, it's just tough because you're, you're grinding every day. You're, you know, your coaches are kicking you in the teeth all the time. And, and, and then when you, when you end up 8-8 eight and eight or 7-9 and nine and on the outside looking in, and you don't really realize what you're missing because, like I said, most of the time you're just happy to get a paycheck. And then so to be able to have success, make it to the playoffs, and to be successful at it, that's, you know, it's, it's something that's very unique in the NFL. And, and I had been around a while just up until that point. And again, like I said, not, not ever really experiencing the, the playoffs. And so it was really kind of, it was great to be a part of it, but also just kind of the next year and the years to follow made you sad that you can't be a part of it every year. And, uh, and then when you get done, and when I got done with my, my the regular part of my career, you know, I never even thought of a Super Bowl, much less been able to play in one. So... Yeah, it was just, it was, we were very fortunate to have all the pieces come together, but it, it's a very unique thing, even in the NFL. Talent does not mean anything if you cannot get everybody to work together and be able to play as a team. And I'm glad you said that, because that brings us to our next question. Very, you know, you, you, you segued that perfectly. So Andre Rising comes to the team in 1995 and instantly seems like a bad fit, which is crazy to think, because you guys are coming off a playoff season, a lot of people picked you to go to the Super Bowl in 95. We had no idea. No one knew what the hell was going to happen with, with the move and everything else. But, you know, even before the announcement of the move was made, it just didn't seem like Andre Risen was going to work out. What do you think what, no, what do you think that the problem was and what went wrong? Because he was so talented. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's just, I, I think it's just kind of the epitome of what, what people in charge in the NFL think is going to work. And it never does, and yet they continue to try to do the same thing in every team, every year, because talent means nothing. And if you're bringing in baggage with that, which everybody calls a, you know, a cancer or distraction, however you want to call it, and it's true, it's a, there's a reason for that label, because it just doesn't work. When you have guys, guys who are there who are more concerned about themselves than, than the team, it just doesn't work, and that's just what happened to us. And, and the funny thing is, is Belichick changed his mantra that year. We went to instead of doing two days every day at camp like he had done for forever, even when he was an assistant, he went to two one two one two one like they do nowadays. And so we were we were ecstatic because we actually were going to have a camp that we're you know where we weren't going to be coming out of it totally and completely gassed. And then of course we come out of it. And then we lay an egg that season. And then what do you think happens the next year? We're back to two days every day <laughs> training camp. And we're like, wait a minute. This can't be happening. So, yeah, it's, it's just uh, there's so much of a, of a 
of a delicacy to how the cohesion of a team works. And, and I've often been critical of, of the NFL and the way they judge talent because, again, I'm drafted in the 12th round, and I play longer than anybody in that draft. But yet, you know, they don't figure out there's a problem. And it happens every year. The guys that are drafted in the top three rounds usually play the least amount of time because they have all this expectation cast upon them and they can't possibly live up to it. And they, they bring them in. They expect too much out of them. They, they give them too much to try to get done early. Most guys back in the day, like Aikman and those guys, you know, you had to earn your stripes. I mean, guy, you know, the guy went 1-15, in 15, like I think, his first year. Yep. Before we figured it out, you know, it's there's just such a there's such a a balance to the whole operation because it's 53 guys trying to figure out how to play as one, and it doesn't matter how talented each position is if 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 guys aren't there more concerned about the success of the team as opposed to their own success that you just can't achieve it. It's just not possible. It doesn't matter who's on the field, no matter how much talent you have. And that was a prime example of how that just doesn't work. And, and, you know, Belichick gets a lot of credit and I'm not going to sit here and take away from his credit or rain in his parade. But at the same time, he does things like that. I mean, AKA Randy Moss, when he brought him in, in in New England, it just doesn't make sense. And you're like, well, how do you do that? Why would you do that? You're supposed to be a good coach. You should know better. Why don't you know better? But but he doesn't. He does the same thing that everybody else does. And you're like, wait a minute, just doesn't work, you know. And granted, there's talented guys who can who can come in and be a, an asset to a team and 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 fit into the team. But very rarely does that happen because most guys who get patted on the back their entire life think that foot playing football and sports is all about me, and it's not. You know, football is a team sport. There's very few sports, with the exception of golf, where you have to, you know, where you're on your own. And and the NFL and football to me is is just the ultimate team sport. You have to have everybody on the same page, willing to put in the time and the effort to be able to find success. And, you know, it just, it just didn't, it didn't work. It, we didn't have the right pieces. And then Andre certainly, you know, not to put any, put anything on him, but it just, it's one of those guys. He was a character more than, more than a, more than a player. You know, and you alluded to it too, in, in 95, just one of those things where um, no one saw it coming. The fans didn't see it coming. I have to believe the players didn't see it coming. You know, Art Modell announces the move uh, from Cleveland, one of the, the best sports cities in America. And I'm not just saying that because I've lived here my whole life. I'm saying it because it's, it's the doggone truth. And, you know, so you, you move. How, for a couple questions here. One, did you have any inkling something like that was coming? Two, how did you find out? And then, you know, three, how hard was it to finish that season? Because it, it had to be a nightmare. Yeah, it, it, I'd often say that it's. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. It, it was, and I and I felt animosity because I, I I was frustrated because I even though I knew the fans were were mad at Modell, they were booing us on the field, which I know that's what that wasn't what was happening, but it's what it felt like. And so I can remember playing playing Pittsburgh in, in Cleveland. I think it was, I think it might have been when it happened. And then we come on the field and they're, they're booing us and cheering the Steelers. And I just, I just couldn't believe it. I like, what world am I living in where this is happening? And I, I don't really remember. I don't remember really how I found out. I remember all the talk 
And I can remember thinking that, you know, surely this isn't happening. Sure, this is not going to happen. Even as a player, you know, you know you're thinking there's no way. There's no way this happens. And and then sure enough, it did, and it got announced, and it just it was just a living nightmare. It really was. I I I can't even. It's just hard to put into words where you knew no matter where you played, you weren't welcome. And it was it was really bizarre because you know being at home at your own place used to be used to be. It always was just a place of you know where we can go in and know that all's going to be well. And we didn't have that anymore. And and it just you just real. I I personally just felt like I was on an island and and nobody really cared. But at the same time, I was I'm not I'm not I'm smart enough to know that I understood the frustration of the fans and why they felt the way they did. But it was just hard for me to in my mind to justify because I was thinking I'm still I'm still here. We're still here. We're still the same guys that you supported a week or a week ago, two weeks ago. And now all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're having to sit there and listen to the, the, the booze and, uh, and there's no support whatsoever on the field. But then again, I, I totally and completely understand it, but it just for as a player, you know, we, we were, we were on, we were by ourselves and we were on our own. And it, and it was a miserable, miserable experience. And I, I and, I mean, I've been released before in my life I, in, in Green Bay and, and then not once in, in Carolina. But to have to endure, you know, that, the end of that season for that period of time was probably the toughest thing I had to go through as a player. You know, it's just crazy because in, 90, in 93, second week of the season, you guys are at home on Monday Night Football and you beat the heavily favored San Francisco 49ers. Great game. You know, national TV, the crowd is packed. The next year, you know, 94, you win a home playoff game against the Patriots, and then you have to go from all that to that. You know, it, it really is unthinkable. And I want to ask you this question because I know you said there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of anxiety that comes with being an NFL football player. But I want to ask you this. You know, did the emotions seem real and pure? Because nowadays, and this happens in every venue, the new Cleveland Brown Stadium – which is actually 20 years old, so it's not really new anymore. But, you know, where they play now, it seems like there's music pumped in and there's there's announcers that say, okay, everybody has to cheer and everybody get loud. None of that crap was needed back in the day. You know, the, the old Municipal Stadium, think about that again, that, that game against the 49ers on Monday Night Football, that playoff game, did that seem like a real, true, emotional, passionate crowd compared to the manufactured, you know, fan bases of today. And I'm not asking you to, I'm not asking you to knock today's fans or anything like that, but I guess what I'm saying is was it just more enjoyable back then? Well, it's it's kind of it's kind of tough. I mean, I can only tell you on 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 our on my end, I guess, of what you experienced. And all I really experienced as an NFL player um is you knew you knew whether you were home or away because as a tight end, I was always out on the edge of the line of scrimmage, and so for me, all I needed to know was snap count. That was my main the main concern for me because I, I that was my one advantage over my defender is I knew when the ball was snapped, and so for me, crowd noise was always a huge issue, especially in away stadiums. 
and at home we knew we, you know, we were fine. We didn't have to worry about it, but, um, you know, the authenticity of those, of that, of those crowds, especially in Cleveland, I think is incomparable to anything else that you experience with the exception of, of what I had at LSU, maybe of, of, you know, the enthusiasm and the, and the, the energy that we got from them, because that was true and it was raw and it was, it was real. And, you know, I think in today's, today's world where the stadiums are just so huge and, and I think the fans are getting further and further removed from the, from the field that, and it is a more commercialized, that I think it is a little bit different but I don't know. I don't want to take away from the from the enthusiasm that I know that exists in every fan base across the country. But but you know, teams like say in Carolina, that's fairly new and the, and the tradition and it's rich and it's deep and it's not generational. You know, I'm sure it's it's a little bit different um, different there. And and it was a little bit different there. Obviously, you know, we couldn't fill stadiums when I was in uh, Carolina at the end of my career, and and it was just it was a different. It's a different world, but, you know, I think every, every fan, you know, today, especially as it's passed down from generation to generation, is equally authentic and it comes from the same place and the right place. But I do get, I do get how everything's so commercialized now and it's, it's, it seems a little bit more manufactured, but like I said, as a player, you know, I'm just, if it's, I'm either home or away. On defense, it doesn't really matter. You just snap on the ball and play. But on offense, you know, snap counts a huge issue and, and a huge advantage when you're at home as opposed to when you're away. And especially if you're in a dome stadium away, you know, that was always the worst. Like in Indianapolis, every time we went there, or Minnesota, it was just awful because everything reflects off the off, off of the stadium and you can't hear your own self think. And, um, and that's the huge difference for you, for me as a player, you know, being an offensive guy who needs to hear a snap count. So last question for you here, you know, you, you referenced Carolina a few times, you ended your career there after 2000, you, you entered into retirement. Now, if I understand this correctly, um, you were in retirement for three years and then you get the call to come play with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots as they made a Super Bowl push. Again, just unbelievable luck. And then, from what I understand, you were on the field and made the snap that Adam Benatari had to use to kick the winning field goal to ironically beat the Carolina Panthers in, in, in Super Bowl 38. It's, uh, sometimes it's like you can't even I – can't, I couldn't make this stuff up if I tried. You know, what, what was the experience like? You know, why did you decide to come out of retirement and just just to be a part of everything that happened after that? I mean, it's the Lord works in mysterious ways, and, and holy cow. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I was, bl- I was blinded by the fact I wanted back in. I mean, I had tried for two years to get back in. And I didn't realize that my age was an issue at 36 and 37 years old. And, and so once I had figured out that, you know, I, I was, I was, I was, I was, I had played too long to begin with and, and continuing to play wasn't a reality. And I walked away from it. Uh, yeah, it was kind of unusual. I was teaching Bible at my kids' school. I, I transitioned into coaching and teaching, and and I got a call from Scott Pioli from the Patriots to come and try out, and I really couldn't believe it. <laughs> I, 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 I I made sure he knew I, I had lost a lot of weight, and that wasn't the same 
guy and he said we need a guy to come in it was very similar to how i ended up in cleveland they had they had lost a they had lost one of their guys to injury the week before and then the the next week they they released the guy which they claimed was injury but they lost two long snappers in two weeks and so so they brought me in, and I just wanted to be back in the NFL, and I really didn't care. I, I knew there were two—I knew there were two regular season games left, and then we were, there was a playoff game, so I was guaranteed get another credited season in my retirement. And I was like, "Sure, I mean, I'll go do it. I'll go give it a shot." And so when I went over there, I didn't realize they were—they brought in three other guys to try out, and and so I had to go in and, and do that. I've, I've been in maybe. I think maybe two two tryouts prior to that, where I actually had to snap in front of a, a camera and and try to win the job. And so I was I was lucky. I was fortunate. I had a history with Belichick, who knew I could play in tough conditions, and they had home field advantage. And he knew it was going to be it could be some cold, some wet conditions. And and so he had trust in me and 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 what I had done in Cleveland for five years. I mean, Belichick used to come into practice. If it had rained, and he would smush the ball into the ground and get as much mud and water on it as he could, and then make me snap. And I look up and I said, like, "Bill, I said, you do realize that referees have towels and I can wipe the ball off." <laughs> and he's like, well, you know, "That doesn't matter." You know, he's like, he wanted to make it the worst he could possibly make it, and still make you perform so that if you know, so you'll you'll be prepared. And so he trusted me to come in and do the job, and and I was very fortunate. I never really thought much about. After that, that third game, because I just wanted three games to get to get another year of retirement, and then we, you know, we started winning, and I didn't even know they were playing well until I was in the class when I got the call and I told them my kids what had happened, and one of them said, "Oh, they got the best record in the NFL. They're picked to win the, the Super Bowl." And I was like, "What?" And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> And he's like, yeah. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Because I had told Scott when he called, I didn't know. Because I had been sent home from a couple of tryouts. And I, I really didn't enjoy that experience. And so I was like, I don't know if I want to come try out and get sent home again. And so, um, yeah, we had a great run um, to be able to, to be a part of what, what Brady was doing there in uh, New England. It was really, it was really unique. Uh, you know, he, 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 him and Teddy Bruschi, both of them just, two real quality individuals that that obviously to me are the reason they had all their their success because like I said earlier when you have leaders that are you know committed to team first it's it's a huge difference and you know Brady is obviously the ultimate team player in my opinion and and Brewski was one of the same and and so to be a part of that even walking on to that to that to that facility for the first time it was it was unlike anything I'd ever been a part of uh, and in my entire time in the NFL, and I was walking in, you know, to to week what was it, week sixteen? I think they had two games left. Yep. And it was just a different place. It was a different environment, and I, and I knew it the minute I walked in there. And I never, I never. This is the weirdest thing because I never thought about it I, until I look back in hindsight. I never thought we would ever lose. I just losing was never an option. I knew we were going to win. Every game we play, but every game we play, with the exception of those two regular season games, every playoff game that we played, it basically came down to a field goal. And but but again, I, I but I never thought we would lose. I just I mean, just every game I knew I knew we were going to win. And and of course the NF, the uh, the Super Bowl, the, the last game, 
I didn't have much time to think about that because I was involved in that last play, and that that was a huge, a huge uh, burden, a huge. Uh, I don't even know how to describe it. Uh, what it what it it kind of affected me as a, as a person, as a player, because I, I had been out for three years. I, I, and all of a sudden I'm cast back into this, this environment that I hadn't been in my whole career of playoffs. And like I said, we had a, we had a game winner against, uh, against the Titans, even though we ended up, you know, it ended up not as close, I think. And then Indianapolis, we had a game winner there as well, which put us up by 10 to seal the game. You know, I'm thrown into this situation where I'm trying to, to deliver this snap, you know, with with nine seconds on the clock to win the Super Bowl. And all of a sudden, you're like, wait, how did this happen? And, uh, you know, I just I always often give the analysis that it fried every nerve in my body because, you know, like even today, I just like competition just doesn't do much for me. It's like everything seems to be paled in comparison to that moment of having to go to, you know, deliver that football. Cause I'd had, I had had issues all week going into that game of snapping on, on, on the short snaps. I don't know why I, I, I can't explain it, but obviously I think in hindsight that it was, it was basically God removing any, any, any way possible that I could take credit for it because only by his grace did that ball get to where it needed to go. And then Adam made the kick to win the game and, and, you know, able to experience something that very few get to experience and not, not just, not just in, in the general public, but even in the NFL environment, very few get to be a part of a game winning play and being, uh, well, probably the second, the second most vulnerable element in that process. And I was very lucky. I was very fortunate to be a part of that and to be able to just get a glimpse of what it's like to be on a team, on a team, that's that's committed to one thing and one thing only and that's being the best and and winning it all and being able to be a small part of that that huge thing that went on in new england for the last 20 years with brady yeah no doubt about it you know you can't really script it better than that you come out of retirement and then the last play of your entire career wins the super bowl i mean it just like i said that that's one of those stories you can tell for years upon years and it's it's unbelievable almost too good to be true I have to ask one bonus question here. Did you get to see the kick go in, or were you too busy blocking after making that snap? I mean, I've always wondered this about linemen. Do you get to see anything that goes on besides the guy in front of you? Well, you know, for me, as, as a, you know, I had done, I had short snapped most of my career. I didn't do it my first three in, in, in Miami, like I told you, only about three games. But my only thing that I had to be concerned about with that, just like, you know, punting wasn't as bad because I could recover pretty quick. I was always a pretty good guy who could recover and I never got knocked on my back. And I, I took a lot of pride in that, especially on short snaps because short snaps, your guards, your guards feet are hooked inside of yours on when the ball is snapped. So there's a, not, there's a lot easier chance for you to be able to get knocked back because you're, you can't get your feet underneath you. And so when you're short snapping, you know, your only thing you're concerned is, is hitting the mark, you hit your mark and you, and you really, you really can't see the ball come out. You can see it. You can see it come out for like the first little bit, like you know it's okay, but you can't. You know, you're not seeing anything besides that. Even on a, on a long snap, you're barely. You're not even really seeing anything on a long snap. Long snap when you pull the trigger, you don't even know where it's going. You just you're just hoping it got there because you're coming up immediately. But a short snap, you're more bent over and you can see it come out initially. So I knew the ball was good on the kick. 
but what we are, but you, but it's like a routine. Once you do that, you make sure you don't get run over. You hold your ground, and then you just kind of naturally look up to try to find the football to see if see if it's relatively in the right area, if it's going to make it through the uprights. And obviously, if you don't hear the double thud, which we heard earlier in that game, I don't know if you knew that we had a our first kick. I think was blocked because our left side just got collapsed, and so you hear the double thud. You hear the boom. And that means that somebody blocked the kick. So you don't hear the double thud. And then you look up to find the football as it's, you know, it's in the air. And so I look up and I see it splitting the uprights. But I've also been around long enough to know and that I got to look for flags as well because yeah. you, I've had to resnap a few of those balls before. And the thought of having to resnap that, you know, was like, there's just no way I'm doing this again. And I, I scan the boundary. <laughs> I scan all across the way to look for a yellow flag, and I don't see either one. And so I yell out, I, I let out this primal yell that I don't even know what it was, just as loud as I could yell because, like, it was over. Like, I knew we had won, and I knew this game was done. And, uh, you know, I was just, I it couldn't, it, it was probably like, you know, you're going to the most, the most, the most anxious, the most, like, like pressure packed moment of your life. And all of a sudden you go to the most elated, one of the most elated moments of your life, you know, in an instant, when you see that ball split the uprights, you know, it's very hard to, to describe what that, what that's like, that, that range of emotions, because like I said, I, I didn't know if I was going to be able to get the ball back to the holder. I mean, I, I had had problems even in that game. I put the ball on the ground twice, I put it on the ground on my second punt snap and my first PAT. I put it on the ground, and I never put a, a ball on the ground that bad in my life. And it was it was technically the worst game as a long snapper in my life, and so so the anxiety of getting that ball back to the holder, and then the elation of of, of, of kind of comprehending that we were going to win. Because I never thought about that. I never thought that far. I just I'm like snap, snap, snap. Just get the snap, and then once Adam hit it. And then I looked up and I started realizing it's like this, this wheel started spinning in my head. You know, we're going to win the game. We're world champions. This thing's over. And it was like, oh, my gosh. And it was just like, uh, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and uh, I, knew, I knew someday it would be a movie because I'm like, this is too good to be true. The script is written itself. And, you know, we and we had guys working on that, but that never came to reality. But, yeah, it is uh, it's amazing thing to be a part of but again I, I, that was god's hand and his alone that, that allowed that to happen even me getting back there and being able to go through what i went through to be able to experience that was very very unique well it was great to have you on the show today truly appreciate it um how can fans follow you do you have any kind of social media plugs twitter or facebook or is there anywhere where fans could find you I am as I am as disconnected uh, in social network as there is. I, I don't have any footprint <laughs> anywhere. But, but the only thing that I connect with fans, I get mail from fans uh, who want me to sign the very few uh, cards that I do have, and and you know that's that's about all I got. <laughs> all right, maybe maybe I'll send you one of my I'll send you one of my cards. Then I got to go up in the attic and get them down. Yeah, well, they, well, I think they, they find out that they, they know I'm the one that actually sends them back. So guys are, are very, they're very <laughs> likely to send me stuff, even though I have very few cards to sign. So. That's funny. Well, you know, sir, this was great to have you on the show. I really appreciated talking with you about, you know, oh my gosh, five years ago now, time flies um, for, for my book, Bernie, Bill, and the Browns. And uh, just wild, you know, trying to get everybody now that I have this radio show here, just trying to get everybody back on the show. 
and uh, get all the interviews together. So wanted to thank you again. If you want to give my number to Tom Brady, that would be great. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, I, I wish I had it. I'd give it to you. Hey, I got to tell you a quick story on, on ear here, and it's uh, it's of public record, so it's okay. I'm not going to cause a, a you know a firestorm of crap, but. So, you know, when I wrote that book back in 2015, I talked with a lot of the guys who played in the 80s. You know, it was more so the guys from the 80s and, and a few of the early 90s because the, the book was 85 through 95. That was the era, the last great era of the Browns. And, yes. you know, so I spoke with so many people, Reggie Langhorn, Brian Brennan, Matt Silver, uh, yourself, Brian Hansen, um, Tommy Vardell, you know, Leroy Horde, uh, the late, great Michael Jackson, just a ton of players. And I reached out to a publishing company and I said that, you know, the name of this book is going to be Bernie Bill and the Browns. And they said, we're not going to publish it unless you get an interview with either Bill Belichick or Bernie Kosar, you know, one of your two title people here. And I thought, okay, well, Bernie Kosar has a million things going out here in Cleveland. He has a casino, uh, you know, a, a steakhouse. Well, I'm like, this ought to be easy. So I reached out to him, you know, in all these different ways. Uh, never heard back from him. Went to one of his signings, you know, and I don't pay for any of this stuff because I'm a, you know, a sports writer. I flash my credential, I'll get right in. Well, right. you know, an autograph signing is a different story. Some of these guys, you know, who runs these sports collectible stores, they're not going to let you slide. The only time in my career I ever had to pay to get into something. So I pay, I get in, and then I wait in line for two hours, get to the front of the line. Reggie Langhorn's sitting there. I just interviewed Reggie. You know, he knows me. We talk a little bit. And Bernie Kosar's sitting there, too. And I, I try, you know, in the, in the 10 seconds I can to explain yes. to you know explain to Bernie Kozar who I am here's my books here's the team it's years I've spoken with I really need to speak with you to get you to be a part of this book you know he laughs me off I'm like you got to be freaking kidding me so then you know two 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 days later I, I contact his uh, booking agency at the time which I'm I'm guessing he doesn't use anymore and the booking agency says hey you know it's 10 grand for 10 minutes with Kozar and I'm like you're out of your goddamn mind you don't oh yeah excuse my language there but I'm like you're out of your damn mind I'm like I'm not going to make that. Like the, I make like 56 cents a book at the most. Like it, it's it's insane. So I went home, you know, I went home and I told my wife, I'm like, this is awful. I'm like, I've spent over a year of my life working on this book. It's really good. I got all these players, you know, no, no, no one's going to see it. And she's like, reach out to Bill Belichick. And I'm like, yeah, right. I'm like, okay. So, so I did. So I write this letter to the New England Patriots, uh, Bill Belichick Foundation. He's got a charity out there. And I believe you, I mean, it was unbelievable. You know, about a month later, I never heard anything. And then about a month later, I, I won this award in, in Little Italy down here in Cleveland, um, you know, for the uh, to speak to the Italian Brotherhood, because I'm Italian, about my career in, in sports writing. So I go there, I'm giving, you know, on my way to do this speech, thank God my dad brought my dad, because I always bring, I like to bring my dad to stuff. And my dad's driving the car, and I look down, I have a phone call from Foxborough, Massachusetts. And I'm like, wait a second, I'm like, I don't know anybody from Foxborough, Massachusetts. And my, my dad, my dad nudges me. He's like, it's Bill Belichick. I'm like, yeah, right. So like, I click on the phone. Sure enough, it's coach Belichick. And he proceeds to talk my head off for 45 minutes was incredible. Well, I mean, really super nice, all business. You know, I, I tried to make him laugh a couple of times. He did not laugh, but just, you know, just straight up great guy gave me all this great content. And I was able to get the book, get the book published. And I'm telling you, you could ask, you know, 100 Browns fans, and 99 of them will tell you, okay, you got the interview from Kozar, not Belichick. I mean, it's just crazy. It is crazy how my life worked out, how we said that, you know, the, the Lord works in mysterious ways. But, yeah, I mean, that that's a story I, I never hesitate to tell because, you know, it, it just, it's, it's miraculous to me that it all panned out that way. I hope one day that I do get to meet, you know, Bernie Kozar on a personal level, 
explain to him explain to him what happened because I don't think it was his fault. I really don't. You know, when when players have these agents and they have these booking agencies, half the time half the time they have no idea. I mean, you know, if I if I bumped into Bernie somewhere, uh, you know, off the record, I would I can almost guarantee he'd sit down and talk with me. But with oh, yeah. with the way it all worked out, is the way it all worked out. But yeah, I mean, give my number to Tom Brady, and I'll expect his call next. <laughs> well, it'd be it'd be like par for the course, man. Belichick, you should get Brady next. You know, <laughs> you know, my wife, who has been happily married to me for almost ten years, she you know she already thinks I'm a good guy. But if I could land Tom Brady. I, I would be a saint in her eyes because she's in love with them. So that's right. That's right. Well, he's he's just like Bill. He's just a normal guy. He'd do anything in the world for you. So that's awesome. Well, yeah. you know, I wanna. I don't want to take up any more of your time. I want you to go be with your grandkids, and you have a great day. And uh, I'll let you know when this posts. I know you don't have social media, but I'll, I'll uh, at the very least I'll text it to you, and you can click on the link and listen to it. Awesome. Well, my my, it's my pleasure, and I appreciate it. I'm glad somebody still cares. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye now. And again, we want to thank our guest today, Brian Kinchin. That was great. Um, I wish I had more time. You know, we're coming up on an hour, hard to believe. So many more good stories we could have got to. We'll have to have them back on the show soon. For everybody out there in Football Nation, this is Vince McKee with Key on Sports. Email me, coachfin14 at yahoo.com. We are looking for sponsors of any kind coming into high school football season. You rest assured, there will be high school football this fall. For Keon Sports, I am Vince McKee. Have a good day.